It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the new and pre-owned Renault, Dacia and Opel range. And a car finance specialist on site to arrange a finance package that suits your budget. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie. Welcome to Midweek Late Lunch. Great to have you with us on the show again this afternoon. Lots of chat to come over the next couple of hours. Some nice music as well to listen to and a bit of banter, of course, between myself and Louise. If you want to get into the uh, show or join us on the show today, 086-1800-658, WhatsApp or text me, 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. The Seagulls, they haven't gone away, you know. No swimming on Balbriggan Beach and they're a big part of the reason. We're going to talk to Tom Cardiff who we've spoken to before on the show. He knows all about it. Dr Harry Barry is here. His ninth book all about embracing change and boy has there been change and will there be in the coming months and years. And we're going to be uh, hearing again about the mother and baby home survivors. A special online event happening tomorrow evening and Coldplay of course. My artist of the week. I'll tell you more about them and spin a great call. Coldplay song. But first on today's show, she's a thought-provoking columnist with independent newspapers and in her weekly column in Saturday's Independent, Sarah Carey bemoans the loss of our sense of community and empathy and believes there are reasons why this situation has developed here in Ireland. I'm delighted to say she's joining me for a chat. Hello again, Sarah. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Congratulations on another one that got me sitting there and thinking and thinking deeply about this. Look, at you, you put it across really well. And I was just thinking when I was young and growing up and I grew up in a corporation house, as they call it. You know what I mean? Yeah. My mother and father rented it in a very normal type of area where nobody had anything and we were all in the same boat. Is that sort of underpinning the way, you know, Irish society has changed, the have, the have-nots? I think it's about a sense of wealth, perhaps also bringing a sense of privacy and security. So in the article, what I was starting off ostensibly to talk about was that um, uh, there's a problem of permeability, that uh, the housing estates in our towns have been designed so that people can drive everywhere. And people will pay more for a house that's built in a cul-de-sac. So you've got a wall at the end of the road, which means nobody has any business coming down your road. And you think it's your road unless it's someone that actually lives there or is perhaps visiting you. And what some county councils want to do is 
punch a hole in the wall at the end of the cul-de-sac just for pedestrians and cyclists, not for cars. Sometimes they have these ideas where they uh, border onto schools or bus stops and that maybe kids could get to their school or bus stop, you know, without having to walk a kilometre. And people ferociously protest these. They get really emotional about it. They get really upset about it and they really object to it. And I was saying, like, why is our sense of identity only extended to the people in our road? And we think that's my house and my neighbours and other people. And this is a theme I've been doing in my column, that we're so suspicious and afraid of other people that we just don't want them around us or near us. Mm. And, um, and, I, and I think it's, no, it's, it's primitive in many ways. Like there's something inbuilt in our DNA that we've always suspected the people at the other end of the, ca- at the parish and the other side of the mountain and they wear their hair a bit funny and they talk a funny way and they wear silly clothes and they believe silly things. So it's quite instinctive in us to be suspicious of whom we regard as strangers. But what I think is sad is that we regard people as strangers that are from our own town. Yes, and, and you know, going back to my situation, there weren't cul-de-sacs, there weren't any impediments to moving freely, you know, from one street to another. But I'm talking about a drawhead of yesteryear that has changed, uh, you know, unbelievably in the time with expansion and everything. But you know that wall you're talking about that you would like to see, or councils would like to punch a hole in? There yeah. are people, obviously, you're safe in your cul-de-sac, but there are people on the other side of that wall. And in a lot of circumstances... You know, they may be, with no disrespect to anybody, come from the place I came from. You know what I mean? Come from a, a publicly provided house where, you know what I mean, it's not owned, it's rented by the people there. Yeah, and there yeah. is that, uh, what would I say, how do I put this? Well, it's fear. Now, yeah. you can call it snobbery as well, and I think we're desperate snobs. <laughs> As a, as a yeah. people, we probably like to think that we're not, that we're all quite ordinary and love everyone and we're not like the Brits with their private schools mm. and their posh accents. But actually, we are a very class-ridden um, society, you know, and there is a lot of snobbery. But I think a lot of people will simply cite fear that they're afraid yeah. and that if there's any kind of antisocial behaviour, you know, that the guards won't be able to help them much. But I mean, in one example that I cited in my article, it was it was that one about primary schools and where a gate would just be open for kids to go into school for half an hour in the morning and half an hour in the evening would be closed the rest of the time. And in that case, people didn't want cars. Cars would come down the road dropping off the school kids. You know, and you yeah. just think, is it really that big an imposition? Mm. And, the, and, and it's this sense of ownership, I think, of public spaces um, that people don't have a right to be within sight of you and it's, it's, it, it is really sad. And I, what I was saying was, can we not identify with other people in our town as being in our community? Yes. You know, and that we're all together. And the other one I mentioned was, and perhaps this is a little part of the media constantly making people afraid. I have teenage boys. And when they turned 13 and 14, I said to them, now, you are now suspicious youths. And if you're seen walking down the road... Adults would look at you and automatically assume that you're up to no good, possibly criminal activity, because I'm on one of these text alerts for our community and I get texts identifying that there are suspicious youths walking down the road. <laughs> the Sarah Carey's boys. <laughs> I say, what's suspicious? They're just young men. Yes. You know, young men and they all dress the same, mm. rich or poor, they all dress in the same kind of clothes. They all have that convict looking haircut that I despise. I think it's desperate. But they're all automatically classed. It's been up to no good. And even during the pandemic, I felt so sorry for teenagers. 
Mm. They'd just be hanging out on the street. They wouldn't be doing anything. Yes. And people would automatically be hating them. And there are kids, you know. So yep. could we just try and see the humanity in people and not mm. immediately assume that they've no right to be where they are and they must be up to no good? Most of the time they're not. May I say, may a culpa here as well. I would, you know, at times look and think, well, what are they up to? And I'm as yeah. guilty of it as, as anybody else. And, you know, remember, remember from uh, growing up myself, you know, I, I know they're hanging around in idle minds. You know, the saying and all yeah. that type of thing leads to. But, you know, the, here's a, an example for you where I know people listening to us today will say, listen, it's all right for Sarah and Jerry to be talking about this, but I'm living near one of these intersections and there's an informal way through. And Rahat is an example where this is going on at the moment. You know what the crime spree we've had here, the awful uh, times mm-hmm. where, you know, in even the new report that has come out, they're talking about shutting up these access points because of, you know, antisocial crime, etc. Well, the first thing I do is I don't know the specifics yeah. there now, you know, and I'd like to see what is the evidence, yes. you know, that that the that the permeability, the way through the wall is what's actually attracting the antisocial behaviour. Because from what I do know in, in general terms about antisocial behaviour is that people, if they're up to no good, don't want to be seen. Mm. So they like to hide behind walls and they'll always find out that spot, you know, under yes. the bridge or down at the canal or mm. something where most people can't actually see them. And if it's a way through a wall so that other people can get to a bus stop quicker, that doesn't usually tend to be the magnet for poor behaviour. Mm. Um, but the other thing is, I suppose, to try and think of the bigger picture. You know, how can we reduce cars on the road and look at the damage that cars do in terms of safety? Mm. And if you can make it easier for people to walk and cycle around, give them a shortcut that could save them a 15-minute walk, it improves the whole atmosphere around a town. It's quieter, it's nicer. Um, like, I don't know if we've talked before, Jerry, about the Royal Canal Greenway, where I used to be afraid to go down for a walk along the Royal Canal, which goes to Enfield, where I live, because mm. it was so quiet. I thought, now, if I get murdered down there, everyone's going to be watching the six o'clock news that night about a young woman who was murdered on the canal bank. And they're all going to say, now, what was she doing down there by herself anyway? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? yes. And now with the Greenway, there's loads of people. Mm. And, so, and it's all nice people and they're cycling and they're walking their dogs and there's kids. So it's safer because there are more people. And it's this counterintuitive thing that when you make it easier for families and regular people to walk from A to B... Actually, the guys who are up to no good don't want to be there. Yeah. And, you know, perhaps as well, there's a bit of a generational thing in this, because I mentioned this to my daughter who lives not far from me, and there is a way there, and she would be totally opposed to uh, closing it, because she looks on it as being uh, convenient for children to get to school. She says, if you close it, you're going to put, uh, you know, 20, 25 minutes on their journey. She says, think about them walking that in winter and inclement weather and everything and having to sit in school. She's very, you know, she made me think when she responded to me. And that's what I'm saying, is to try and put yourself in someone else's shoes. Mm. That what might suit you, if you give up that little thing you have, that bit of privacy and security that you have, first of all, ask yourself, you know, why are you so afraid? Is it real? Secondly, is the thing that's being proposed, would it really harm you? And thirdly, if it did inconvenience you in some way, like let's say there were more cars dropping their kids to school at the top of your road for the 15 minutes in the morning, 
the greater good of those kids not being driven the whole way to school and getting a bit of a walk in, you know, is, is something that would improve our towns. And people are talking now about the 15-minute town mm. and, uh, and that you should be able to get everything you need within 15 minutes. Can you imagine Drogheda and all the towns around me with like half the cars? You know, yes. and this was another thing that came out in the pandemic with fewer people driving. We suddenly realized how nice places can be. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's just to try and imagine a different way of doing things and imagine the gift that you could give to people by just giving them a shortcut so they don't get soaked on the way to the bus. Yeah, and the, uh, just expanding it a little bit from from what you've written, yeah. I was speaking to somebody recently who, you know the way we've gone the route of just having all social housing, all private housing, ne'er the twain yeah. shall meet, and by God, they're still doing it here because, you know, with the government and councils buying up blocks of developments, you know what I'm saying, Sarah? Yeah, they're still yeah. going down... That was something my um, father... Who whom you might remember. Willie, uh, yes. Yeah, so he was a county councillor and he always felt very strongly that you shouldn't turn um, uh, council estates or social housing into ghettos, that you should always have mixed. Yeah. You should have mixed estates. Mm. And people often said that was the great tragedy of the Ballymun flats. There was nothing wrong with the flats. The flats were actually, for their time, really well constructed, but they ended up being turned into a ghetto. And so if you have mixed estates where you've all different kinds of people of ages, generations, employment types, you know, yes. families, everybody mixed together, it's much healthier for everybody. And I think that's what's leading some. There was a row I saw last night in Fingal County Council where they wanted to sell some of public land to a private developer and then they could use that money to build public housing. Now, you know, I won't bore you with all the details, but it's not a bad idea because it means you get a mixed kind mm. of state with all different kinds of mm. people. And that's know. where I came from. I, I say I came from, uh, you know, public housing myself. They were known as corporation, you know, the local yeah. authorities at the time built them and they were lovely houses and we had a lovely life and upbringing there, you know, and, and I have to say that on our street it was mixed as well. You know, you had that type of housing, but others also. And what I was going to say is I was talking to somebody recently uh, about the Dutch model and that is their policy. They mix and match in all the developments, apartments, or intense urban yeah. housing. There is no segregation. And yet, Sarah, the council, and I know it for fact here in County Loud, uh, and I, I, don't, I can't speak for me, they're yeah. buying up developments and they're just, you know, cramming them with people who urgently need housing. And I believe they're sowing the seeds for more problems down the road. Yeah, yeah. And anybody who's um, like a housing expert and in the academic world and the social world will know the risk that you uh, create when you do that, that mm. it really is all. And in fact, um, there was a, a thing in planning permission called Part 5, and this was where developers were asked to have some social houses in the private estates when they were being built. And they either tried to buy their way out of it, yep. so pay the council for the houses, you know, rather than uh, provide the houses themselves, or they'd try and put all the social and affordable houses into one area, one but the back corner down of the estate rather than mix them through the estate. Yes. And the planners were constantly fighting that. <clears throat> now, as far as I know, Part 5 doesn't exist anymore, but it, it, it's a really important theme when you're providing housing. And then that means that people aren't afraid of each other. And actually, this is the other thing, Jerry, I wouldn't mind having a chance to mention, it, which is schools. So, you know, I live in Enfield and there was one school, okay? And that meant all the kids, from no matter what class, 
were in the same actual class together and grew up with each other. And that was so good for them. And I often worry when you have three or four schools in a town. And it doesn't matter who the the patron is. Some would be Catholic schools, some would be educated together, there might be a Gale school. And you'd always see the middle class kind of veer towards one school. One school would be seen as the good school, you know, and there'll be competition to try and get into that school. Mm. And it's terrible because then kids are being separated by, you know, social class from when they're four. And so if I was going to have a revolution in education, I would do what they did in Finland, which they did for money, but it had all kinds of positive effects. I would have one school and everybody in one school, and that would do more for creating community and mixing social classes and getting Mm. all the kids irrespective of who they are, what color they are, what language they speak, what religion they are, uh, and what class they are, all in the same classroom together being friends. Mm, It's an interesting, interesting But if you propose that, if you tried to do it, Uh, there'd be a revolution. Do we not take learnings and look at others and take those and uh, bring the best in class to what we do? That's the way it should be, you know what I mean? But the most important thing, if you say to parents, what do they want in education? They will say choice. I want to choose Mm. where my my child goes to school. Mm. I would abolish choice and they'd go (laughs) insane. (laughs) <laughs> now, Jerry, that's why I like the manifesto, right? <laughs> How do you think I'll do with that? I love it. I'll tell you, you listen to Willie anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was, he actually told me about it from Finland and I yeah, went and I looked it yeah. up and it was all true. Oh, yeah. look, at, look, at, you're so interesting and I say it again, your columns are thought-provoking. <laughs> they really are. Keep doing what you're doing. I want to remind listeners, every Saturday in The Independent, she's there and uh, pick it up and read her or read it online as well. It's fantastic. I was going to talk to you about the indoor dining, but they've sorted it out. The 105 minutes is not happening. So uh, I, oh, we can... it's not happening. No, oh, that's... No. Right. Okay, yeah. so, so the virus doesn't uh, spread at 106 minutes. Well, they've well... They've covered that, have they? Yeah, they've come out and said if the tables are two metres apart, you can stay. You know what I mean? If they're oh, a metre yeah. apart, you know the usual thing. They'll be measuring tapes now, measuring metres and two yeah. metres and can you... Or can, uh, you know, talk about choice in education. Jesus, I wish them well with all that's coming down the tracks with this, Sarah, to be honest with you. But I'm sure you'll be touching on it over the uh, the coming weeks. Which I will, you, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. Will, you will indeed. Look, at you're great to take the call. I love talking to you. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you for inviting me on. Love talking to you. Not at all. Take care now. You too. Bye-bye. That's wonderful. Sarah Carey, reader, in the Saturday Independent every Saturday, our online, as I say. Very interesting, interesting thoughts. Permeability between residential areas. It's... uh, You know, you heard what Sarah had to say there. Have you a view? Are you in a situation? What do you think of what she had to say? Love to hear from you on the show. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me now or you can call in on 1850-715-958. Dr. Harry Barry coming up on Late Lunch After 2 talking about his new book Embracing Change and Change there will be uh, with the new regulations just announced in the last hour or so. Six people per table. If you have children under 12, you can have up to 15 at a table. Uh, food and beverage facilities indoors only available for residents of hotels, guest houses and B&Bs from the 2nd of June. Uh, tables one metre apart, both at least uh, one metre apart, outdoors and indoors. If they're a metre apart indoors, you can only stay for an hour and 45 minutes. Two metres apart, there's no limit. The nine euro meal is gone. 
Thank God. What a ruse that was, to be honest with you. Uh, all table service. Premises closed at 11.30 at the latest. Cleared at 11.30. Customers will have to wear face coverings moving around and employees will be wearing them all of the time. So quite a lot of regulations coming. No word on indoor dining or pubs. Taoiseach says it'll probably be the start of July. So it's outdoor from the 7th of June, the day after the bank holiday. That's a synopsis of uh, the regulations. The more detailed than that, of course, people will be dying to get back out. I'm sure people will sit outdoors and if the weather gets nice like it is, well, they will for sure. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. A year ago today, I remember it well, a man called Thomas McPhailham died suddenly. He worked for our show sponsors, Blackstone Motors, in the garage in Drogheda. And it came as a huge shock. He was only a young man, brilliant fellow. I met him here in Late Lunch as well and enjoyed his company. He was young, he had a young family and he passed away all too young and all too soon and suddenly. And he's still really missed, of course, by his family and by his colleagues at Blackstone Motors. And today, on his first anniversary, we remember Thomas McPhailham with this one. Here's to the ones that we got. Memories bring back, memories bring back your... Maroon 5 and Memories, remembering Thomas McPhailham, who passed away a year ago today. All too young, as I said, we remember him, his family and all his colleagues at Blackstone Motors. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this midweek Wednesday afternoon. Up after news and weather at two, it's Dr Harry Barry. I have to say I'm delighted reading this weather forecast today because it's been six weeks of relentless misery. Here we go, mainly dry today with sunny spells and just a few light showers. Highest temperatures, I'm going to collapse, 14 to 17 degrees and light breezes. Staying dry tonight with clear spells, a few mist patches lowest temperatures of three to six degrees in life there are few certainties but one of them is change which ironically in turn produces uncertainty an aspect of life and living many of us struggle with at different times with the world grappling still with the coronavirus pandemic life as we knew it has changed enormously in the last year or so leaving millions and millions of us struggling to cope Dr. Harry Barry, you know him well. He's a specialist in mental health, uh, a multiple published author on the subject, and he's uh, back with a brand new book called Embracing Change. And isn't it so timely? Harry, welcome again to the show. Hello, Jerry. It's great to be on again. Lovely, lovely, lovely to chat to you. Well, very, very appropriate book, isn't it? For oh, the times that we Harry, have, Jerry. Harry, you couldn't have uh, hit the nail on the head, as they say. And you know what strikes me? It's your ninth book, and I've read them all. You return to a couple of themes, and I want to explore those with you in the time we have. Just starting at first with emotional resilience, and you're back to this again. I have to ask you this from a listener's point of view today: How do you build that, Harry? Well, for me, I've I've always believed that emotional resilience is basically learned uh, it's learned skills or techniques you know we often have this uh, misunderstanding i think that some people are just very resilient and some people are not and that's the way they are now there's no doubt about it that some people due to our genes and upbringing may may tend to develop these techniques more quickly uh, but all of us have this capacity to do it and it's very very much about as we keep coming back all the time 
Jerry, to, to looking at our thinking, our emotions, our thinking and our behaviour. So we have such a potential to change and to become more resilient. And what was really interesting about this particular book, Jerry, was I was actually commissioned to write this book just before COVID arrived. Mm. So I, I actually wrote it during the pandemic, which was the greatest period of change probably in my lifetime, and I'm sure in many other people's lifetimes that we have seen uh, worldwide. Yeah. But, you know, I, 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 was, I was very interested in change all the way along. I always think that change and resilience nearly go hand in hand. You know what I mean? So that yes. If we want to really become resilient, we really have to learn how to cope and manage change. And, you know, you talk about the emotions and you go through them one by one in the book. Anxiety, frustration, depression, hurt, shame, sadness and regret. And I say this to you, Harry, you yourself have to deal with this. You know, people look at Harry Barry and think he has it sorted. But I know you haven't seen your grandchildren like so many this year. And I'm sure that's caused you great sadness. Exactly. I've had a massive sadness. I have a little granddaughter, a beautiful little child who's just five, and I haven't seen her. It'll be almost two years. She's living in Boston, and it'll be almost two years before I actually see her. We're hoping maybe to see her in September if we're, if we're very, very lucky. And even my, my little grandchildren up in Dublin, we have seen them uh, maybe once in the last nine months. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's really, and, and we've really missed that. Like everybody else, we were completely sad and we're, we're really regretting this loss of this, you know, I mean, these are precious years that as all grandparents will know in relation to grandchildren, they're very special years to watch them grow and develop. And it's been very difficult to do this on Zoom. You cannot, I, I, I don't care yes. what anyone says, you cannot hug uh, a child through a Zoom platform. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, uh, or to Skype or whatever, WhatsApp, whatever um, uh, method people are using. But I think change is, like just like everybody else, I, I've had to cope with uh, the anxiety, the low mood, the frustration, all of the emotions that these kind of major changes imbue in our lives. But I was very interested, uh, Jerry, in that uh, I've, I, 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 because I've, believe it or not, next year I'll be 40 years uh, uh, working as a GP, which is amazing. Four decades of working, which was amazing. So I wanted to take all the experience that I had of all these great transitional periods of life that we all have to go through, because we're not going to go through pandemics every day of the week, but we are all going to have to face these many situations like relationship breaks up, breakups or entering the menopause or uh, bringing a baby home for the first time, maybe losing a baby, maybe a diagnosis of mental health, maybe a diagnosis of cancer, ageing, retirement, the empty nest syndrome. Uh, the list goes on and on and on of all these great periods of change in our lives. And if we're going to become resilient, Jerry, we have to learn the skills and techniques to, to manage these situations or else they will crush us and make us incredibly mm. emotionally distressed. And you take us through these brilliantly, may I say, in this book. The other aspect of this, I mentioned emotional resilience, but tied in with that, of course, is pragmatic thinking. And again, you say this can be learned. Absolutely. You know, if you go to uh, any farmer and ask him to solve a problem, you will notice the very quick way he's, he sees a shortcut. You know, he's very fast. He, he'll say, look, if we do that and that, cut out that, that and that, we'll sort the problem out. And I have learned over many, many decades that of working and helping with people, walking the walk with people as they share their lives with me, 
Um, that there are often simple solutions, very shortcut solutions to what seem to be very complex problems. But what we do in our emotional mind, Jerry, is we turn them into monsters and we don't see these very simple practical solutions. And these solutions very much uh, involve identifying how we feel and then identifying the thinking patterns behind those feelings and then trying to see can we short circuit any blocks in those or in short circuit any blocks in our behaviours to solve problems. So the wonderful uh, you know, bit of, of learning that come out of this that we all think about life in certain kind of ways. We all feel about things that happen to us negatively in certain ways, and that's because we think about them in certain ways. Now, if I can identify how each one of us, if I can identify how I personally feel and think and act when I come upon these challenging situations, I'll notice a pattern that I'm trying to do the same thing over and over again. And of course, this is wonderful because that means we can very pragmatically teach you what is the most likely kind of pitfalls you're falling into and how can you quickly resolve those and come up with solutions? So it, it's applying this what I call pragmatic blueprint for life so that no matter what the situation that comes up, no matter what the challenging change situation that comes up, you've got a technique or a skill to deal with it. And that's where resilience comes from. Why do so many of us resist and run away from change, Harry? Is that the easy option? And yet it's solving nothing. Absolutely. I think, you know, as human beings, we hate change. Yeah. If you think about it, we, we, and the reason we hate change is because it emotionally challenges us. And it's because it means that we have to use a lot of effort. And believe it or not, our brain hates change because it cognitively it uses an awful lot of energy for the brain to have to switch and think about things in a different way and act in a different way. And we emotionally really struggle. We, we, we resent it. And I have a great line that I sometimes use that we only change our behavior when the cost gets too high. So for many of us, we only make change when really there's no other way out of it, when we're so distressed by something that, uh, or we're suffering the consequences of our behaviour so much that we, 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 seek, we seek some other way of dealing with it. But I, I suppose, um, for me really, if you don't learn to embrace change, if you don't learn to kind of make change your friend to a certain extent, in other words, by learning techniques to manage it, then you're going to really struggle because change is coming down the track to each one of us. And Jerry, I think I told you the story before where my first, um, not my first, but uh, first big one was probably when my brother rang me at the end of a week. I came back and I was relaxed and it was, you know, because I'd been very tired. And he rang me to tell me that he'd been diagnosed with terminal lung cancer and had been given eight weeks to live and literally died eight weeks later. And he left a, a, his wife and three lovely teenage children behind. So I had to you know, make such a massive jump in my thinking and in my behaviour to help him and to help his family uh, to, to get through this whole crisis. And I, I share all those kind of insights in the book, you know. So uh, I'm, I'm like everybody else, uh, Jerry. I'm, I'm just a normal Joe Soap like everybody else. I happen to have maybe more understanding and better techniques. Uh, so I'm able to cope maybe a little bit better with, with many of these situations. But I too have been faced with many of these situations uh, that we deal with in the book, in both my professional life and in my personal life. So um, I, I think, you know, there's nothing like having that experience. You know, Jerry, from, from your life, there's mm. nothing like experience of situations yes. uh, to, to, to really make them real. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So this book is, is based on hard, 
reality. It's not based on the theoretical ideas. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's about what happens in real life. Yes, and I've been through these challenges on various occasions in my life as well and had to change and found it difficult. But, you know, you learn from them, Harry, and then when somebody else is in the situation, look at the amount of people you've uh, walked with over those 40 years as well. Oh, my word, it's such a you're such a well of knowledge. The other thing is, Harry, and I've seen you um, in other places writing about this and talking about it, it is more certain than ever now that huge change is coming uh, very shortly for people because jobs are gone, Harry. Finances are going to be under pressure. Relationships will be under pressure. All a fallout from this. And I must say, the other thing you touch on in the book is this is just not about COVID, folks. It's about climate change. And all our lives are going to change to save this planet. That's a fact, Harry. Yes, all of these things are coming down the track, whether we like them or not. I think the pandemic is going to bring uh, a kind of a, a, a kind of a, a potpourri of both positive and negative um, changes in our lives. I think let's deal with the positive because I always think it's important yes. to, to say that change can be positive as well. I think this this has taught us that what really matters in life is those close to us, those we love, our families, our, our, our you know our, our close friends, our colleagues. That that's all that matters in real life. Uh, the second thing that it, it, that's going to come out of this is that I think we will end up with a lot less commuting, a lot more blended working. Yes. Maybe people having a chance to maybe work and live in, in, in areas, maybe coming down from the big cities to places like Drought and having a better quality of life, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or even small towns scattered around the place that, that would so benefit from this. So they're all positive. But there is no doubt there's going to be a lot of, of uh, hard knocks coming with this because a lot of people uh, will end up losing their jobs and have to change and try to find something different. Many people are going to struggle with the re-socialization. It's already happening and I'm already getting feedback from many people about this. How when they come back into the workplace, come back into meeting their friends and, and even family in some cases, uh, the, the awkwardness, the feeling strange, the feeling that it's different. And I keep saying to everybody, it's really important here that everybody realises that we're all in the same boat. So we're all going to struggle with the same kind of feelings and that that's normal because it's the situation that's abnormal, not us. And I also think that we will, we, let's face it, there's going to be a lot of suppressed grief. And many people out there have lost loved ones or had to bury loved ones, even if they didn't die from COVID, they had to bury them under these horrible conditions that weren't able to grieve for them. So there's all that suppressed grief is going to come out. And then a lot of our young people, I'm hearing an awful lot of feedback, uh, particularly from teachers and things like that, that young people have really struggled during this period of time with a huge increase in anxiety and in depression uh, and even an increase in things like anorexia and things like that. So there will be a lot of changes and challenges facing us. But if we all could just develop, you know, better ways of thinking about it, more resilient ways of thinking about it, more problem-solving ways of thinking about it, I think we can help each other get through this. Oh, absolutely. And I have to say to you again, it's number nine, book number nine, but... Wow, this one is just so appropriate again at this time. And just a few lines I want to quote from it before you go. Things you say in it. Uncertainty, the cornerstone of change. We all mess up. We get things wrong. That's for sure. Accept who we are and be pragmatic. Be kind to yourself. Don't beat yourself up and adapt and embrace change. Those little lines through the book you have there, really, you know, if you even took those on board, Harry, along with all the techniques uh, that you have in this book, you're on the right path, I believe. Absolutely, Jerry. because 
at the end of it all, I mean, you put your finger on things that are so important. So much of the time when something happens in, with change, we're very hard on ourselves. We, we really kind of whip ourselves. We feel we should have seen it coming mm. or, we should have, we, or we should be better able to cope with it or other people are coping better than us. So we fall into this world of rating ourselves and being unkind to ourselves. And I think it's really important that we, that as part of embracing change, we're very kind to ourselves. But learn to accept that, you know, uh, life is uncertain, life is unfair, life is full of hassle and discomfort, and we can't dodge all these things. Uh, and that, you know, uh, deep down, you know, if, if, we could just, if we could just learn to love ourselves, be kind to ourselves, Stop allowing other people to rate us uh, 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 and bring in, bring in all those concepts into those we love and in those we work with. I, I'm telling you, Jerry, uh, the, the mental health of our country would improve dramatically because emotion distress is the number one, in my mm. opinion, cause of mental health difficulties in Ireland, not serious mental illness, which is, of course, a major issue. Yes. And for those affected, is a massive issue and it's a completely different discussion but for the majority of us, it's emotion distress that we're, that we're going to be challenged with. I thoroughly enjoyed this book. I say to you again, I've enjoyed all of your books. It's brilliant. It's for the time that's in it. It's called Embracing Change, How to Build Resilience and Make Change Work for You by Dr. Harry Barry. Available everywhere at the moment. And you won't go wrong picking up this book, taking it on board and putting it into practice. Dr. Harry Barry, as usual, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks a million, Jerry. It was an absolute pleasure as always. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Harry Barry there speaking to me about his new book. I want to give somebody my copy. Stay with us and I'll tell you how you can pick up a copy of this book for free from me today on Late Lunch. Westlife looking like that on Late Lunch this Wednesday afternoon. Dr. Harry Barry's book, Embracing Change. I want to give it away to one of you. It's a really good book, I promise you. Question is this. Harry's written a number of books. I mentioned it a couple of times in the interview. Is this book, Embracing Change, book number 8, 9 or 10? Book number 8, 9 or 10. Which is it, Harry Barry? Let me know, please. 086-1800-658. The answer, please. And your name and details. And we'll pick somebody for the book before the end of the show. I mentioned the new regulations for hospitality that were just announced at around about lunchtime today. Let's get an immediate reaction from Michael Hughes from the Stock House in Trim. Hello again, Michael. Hi, Jerry. How are you keeping? I'm good. Well, you have sort of a roadmap at long last at this stage. What do you make of them? Um, it's, there's, there's one or two little misconceptions in it there, Jerry. Uh, as I noticed, uh, like one guy was interviewed on the 6-1 News yesterday when he was on the 9 o'clock News tube up in Clane and he was measuring from table to table. And at the top of the show there, you mentioned as well uh, tables being a metre apart inside and outside and that. But it's actually in the fine print of the, of the document issued by Falls Ireland today, it's not a, a, a metre from table to table. It's a metre from the back of the chair to the back of the chair at the next table, which makes a significant difference to the, to the capacity of folks in the restaurants yes. if, if they're adhering to that, because that, that, that would put tables nearly three metres apart. Mm, mm. And um, uh, for you, what does that mean? You've plenty of space there, haven't you? Oh, well, we have. We have well, you see, we, we're OK. I, I've, we have dividers then that will go between yes. and the, for, the, for the indoor dining, but we're not going to... The indoor dining is going to pose 
problems in itself there with some of these other rules that are, are in the fine print for today as regards ventilation because certain buildings are have no windows uh, they're fixed like they were dependent on air con we, we'd have that situation for indoor dining we'll have to pop out windows or put in louvers or something when it comes to indoor dining yeah. uh, and some, some, some what you call it uh, restaurants are in hotels which are, are bound in the middle of a hotel with no nowhere near windows so they're going to have be very challenged but of course they're going to be allowed to do a certain amount of indoor dining unless they're outside restaurants mm. that are that are renting the space but we're we're ready for the outdoor dining we're opening on the 7th uh, our outdoor area is good but again the rules on that pertaining to what 50% of the wall space or the ceiling space or roof space has to be open at all times yes. uh, and this is going to pose challenges as well to folk uh, mm. so the, 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 these these rules these restrictions are tighter uh, we're ready for them as a, as, as a chance but I'm not sure if it's a level playing field I'm not sure if everybody's going to have yeah. uh, be, be, be in a positive place as we guards in there because they are a tad tighter than, than they were and uh, at any time before. Okay, 11.30, house cleared. Uh, you welcome that. You get home for a bit of kip a little bit earlier, I take it. We're after getting used to that uh, throughout <laughs> yes. this pandemic and yes. we're actually, we'd are actually find it very difficult to go back to yeah, anything else. That's, yeah, it's it's yeah. probably a plus in that. That's a plus it in does, that one, yeah. It is, it is a challenge too though, Jerry. for folks. That we're, if everyone's clearing in town at 11.30, taxi drivers have an awful job on the hand because they have an hour, of it, well, they have a feast and then a famine mm. and it's, it's, it's very tough on, on them with that particular rule. Um, but it, it is what it is, the 11.30 clearing. T- six to a table is not a problem, adding on a few, the kiddies and all that. Yes. Is, Obviously, uh, a plus uh, and 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 that. So no, we're 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 good. Yes, on all all those fronts. But the eleven thirty is 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 kind of where we're we're at that stage. In the, yes, you're used to that now. What about face coverings for staff having to wear them all the time and policing? You know, people moving about wearing their coverings. You know, that's... that. Was, that, that policing of people was was was, mm. was 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 a stressful thing enough because folks see someone at the next table and they forget and then they come and they, they think they look at you oh I left it in the car and I forget and they're expecting you to make a concession but you have to say well no well you have to go and get it yeah. or we have to carry our own and have them there for folks to take so yeah, there is a bit of policing in it but if we're on the outdoor dining part of it um, they're only going to be wearing that when they're going inside to use yes, the toilets or, yes. or, or move and are you hopeful early uh, Tishuga said it looks like the start of July for, for the indoor and I suppose Michael when you look at the greater picture, just before we finish up, with vaccination, etc., moving on and more people being vaccinated, I'm sure you're hopeful that as time moves away and we get really on top of this thing, we'll get nearer to normality. Well, the truth of it is, Jerry, and people were giving out about hotels getting a, a week of an odd on us. They're a bigger machine to say they've more moving parts and, they, and they're going to take a little longer to get back into the swing of things. So we certainly don't begrudge them that. We're after setting up for outside dining and we'll actually be disappointed, to be straight, if it's only for two or three weeks. We, I prefer to get value out okay. of it for five or six weeks uh, and, until enough people are vaccinated until it's, until yes. it's safe for everybody. We, we want everybody to be safe at the end of the day, ourselves included. Yeah, absolutely. Michael, listen, great. Uh, thanks uh, for the uh, a quick word there initial reaction to the new regulations we'll be hearing more about it I'm sure tomorrow with Michael Reid and beyond thanks for joining me on the show Michael thank you very much Sherry thanks for having me take care of yourself late lunch LMFM radio up next it's all about goals we've been talking about the benefits of water and sea swimming there are lots of new groups have sprung up this last 15 months or so around the northeast and beyond using the sea but listen to this Belbriggan Beach will be closed for the entire 2021 summer season. 
due to contamination of faeces, including from large seagull flocks frequenting Balbriggan Harbour and from their faeces in rainwater which runs off the streets of the town into the Bracken River and on into the harbour. We've spoken a number of times over the years to Tom Cardiff. He's a member of the committee up there that have been trying to grapple with this issue for the last five to six years and he's back with me on the line. Tom, this is shocking, isn't it? Uh, yes, Jerry, it is shocking, and lots of aspects of it are shocking. Um, it's hard to break into it. There's so many different angles. But um, you didn't mention another thing there. There's a case reported on the 30th of April, the same day that the minister brought out the new licence for which for Balbriggan, where an 18-month-old child in, in Manchester, I think it was, ingested seagull feces playing out in his garden. And he then spent 19 days in intensive care with organ failure from antimicrobial-resistant E. coli from that. Mm. And that's shocking in itself. But what's more shocking is we sat in a room in the National Parks and Wildlife Service in April 2020 with representatives from the department, from Fingal County Council and from Birdwatch Ireland on the consultative committee set up by Minister Madigan in 2019 and in the presentation on the 4th of April 2020, we listened to two Irish university professors. Mm. One of them expert in wildlife and zoonosis, which is the transfer of disease from animals to humans. And the other expert in public health, who's running a project funded by the EPA to the tune of a million euros, testing our bathing waters for antimicrobial resistance. And recommendations were made from those meetings for licences for areas impacted by seagulls, not this year, last year. Mm. And that report from the Minister's Committee has been ignored by the Department, not published. They won't publish the minutes where this stuff is in, what's happening, really happening in the background. And this year, I'm, I regret to say, really, our own Minister, a Cabinet Minister, Darrell O'Brien met us a few weeks before the derogation and now has just stuck with the old derogation that was there without acknowledging public health. So I would ask any reasonable person how the closure of a beach due to contamination of seagull feces running off the streets and how the injury that 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 child, the sickness that that child has suffered and been diagnosed in the UK, which has been warned about by two Irish professors, How does that not constitute public health? And why this is such an important question is that Birdwatch Ireland claim seagulls are a protected species under EU law. Mm. NPWS hides behind that claim as well. But they overlook the fact that public health is a member state's competency. Yes, and just explain, that derogation that has been uh, renewed for Balbriggan, what does that derogation uh, mean? It means that in a, in a, in a an area of Balbriggan delineated on a map, we're still authorised to remove seagull nests from houses and buildings and properties and schools, etc., within that mapped area. Okay. And it's to Minister Humphreys in 2017, it's to that minister's eternal credit that we have that derogation. Mm. And is that and not enough, Tom? Is that not enough to deal with this issue? You, you need to go further, is that what you're saying? Well, there's two thing reasons it's not enough. Balbriggan is, is not unique here. This problem is all over. All yes. The oh, yes. And, and that's acknowledged by the department and has been for years. 
And the second thing is, and this is the crucial point, I really hope I can get this across and, and, and I don't mess it up, right? The Balbriggan derogation was restricted by the department unprecedentedly to public safety only, which is a different quantum altogether when you go to public health. Mm. And, the, and the reason it's so important is that, like happens in every other jurisdiction except Ireland, I'm telling you, the UK, Europe are all way ahead of us here. Once public health goes on the derogation, that requires a, a response which includes local authorities and a much higher level of, te- of attention to the problem. And this is the only country in our, in our jurisdiction in Europe, Great Britain and Northern Ireland, which still has not acknowledged a public health dimension to the urban seagull problem. And that there's legal advice was given to the department that there are public health grounds for to give the derogation by a barrister that was hired by NPWS to advise the Minister's Committee. And I stress, Balbriggan has two retired citizens on that committee speaking for citizens. No one else is. Birdwatch Ireland are representing the seagulls. The department sits there looking at us, and Fingal County Council is twiddling its thumbs until the Minister decides to change the policy and produce the checkbook. Mm. That's the reality of this committee. So, Tom, the, the the bottom line is here, the derogation is limiting uh, the seagull populations. I, I, I know uh, they might be a little quiet at the moment, but when June comes in and the chicks are about and it takes off again, I know, I know I'm familiar with it myself. So what are you saying? Is a cull needed? Uh, listen, uh, we, don't, we have never prescribed any particular solution. What we have said is that every other jurisdiction allows people in one form or another to protect themselves by removal of the nests in areas where there are high-density colonies. Now, we would recommend that you get a contractor to do it. Schools probably can't afford that. We have schools in our town that have 20 to 30 nests on them. Yes. And filmed by Fingal County Council in 2018 with drone cameras. And as I stressed to you, the professor who stood in that room and gave the advice says, and her exact words were, with high-density seagull colonies, extreme caution is required, and the most vulnerable are the very young, like the child in England, yeah. the young, the elderly, and anyone who's immune-compromised. Mm. Now, we're not making this up, Jerry. Oh, no, no, and, and you know, when you talk about coronavirus and zoonotic uh, okay. uh, stuff as well, it, it is it is a serious matter. Look, the thing is this that, that strikes me. This uh, closure of the bathing area in Balbriggan is going to impact... Another impact on the good health of people who enjoy to swim and paddle in the water and everything. Is, is there not now, you know, a, a groundswell uh, behind your point of view? I think there will be as people start to turn up for the beach. You see, the, the closure was announced four weeks ago, but it really only is official from the 1st of June. Mm. And we will have, uh, if, if the restrictions are lifted, we may have children coming out on the train for the Sunshine Home. They, they, uh, hundreds of children coming yes. out. And we will be in a position where the official warning not to swim will come into force on the 1st of June. Mm. And this was issued by the EPA and Fingal County Council. Fingal County Council were sitting in the room with us on this minister's committee and the EPA funded the project that the professor used to warn us. Yeah. And the minister, I hate to say this because we know the, the, the scale of the burdens facing 
Minister O'Brien with housing and everything else. But he has been on this with us since 2016 as a TD. Mm. And the Green Minister in our constituency in Scaries met us. And, I mean, he gave his words to me personally that if he was elected, he would assist with this problem. And he has disappeared, basically, on the issue. Yes. And I'm willing to produce documents to prove that. Mm. And so, really, we're so concerned. This is this is getting worse. The, 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 the seagulls are, are producing every year, like a tap overrunning. Mm. That we now are entering the sixth season of a, an apex species with no predators. There was no intention of going back to sea, freely proliferating in urban areas. And it was interesting, they made it onto the nine o'clock news for two minutes the other night in Holt. So why would they continue to leave this problem getting worse and worse and worse? Uh, and I, we're, left with, we're left with these conclusions, Jerry. Sorry if I'm dominating. No, go on. We're left with these conclusions. Either we're still facing a mixture of political cowardice and deceit by the conservation uh, people and by the department and or that they realise when they acknowledge public health, they'll have to produce a checkbook and start dealing with it. Yeah, well, like, no, I know, I know, you, I know, you say the seat there, but they're not here to defend themselves, and I'd have to say, well, look, well, I, I mean, I told you who they are. Yeah, oh no, listen, I, I hear what you're they saying, but I, I'd love to, I'd, yeah, I'd love to hear their point of view on this as well, and they're welcome to make the point of view here at any stage. But look, at the, the bottom line is, you mentioned two ministers there, and of course, Darrell O'Brien is your man. He supported you as a TD. You, yes. Like I know he's busy, but come on, yeah, you know he has a position. Surely he can enact well, uh, this well, now. We, we had a, we had been optimistic for that. We're waiting to hear back from him. We were promised a follow-up meeting. We haven't heard back yet. But th- as I say, the, the housing situation blew up and there's lots of problems. Yeah, so yeah. That. yeah. And, and now it's gone because it, the opportunity only comes around for, for the month of May. It, this will all die off again until this time next year, mm. until about February next year. Mm. So it's, it's very tempting to say, oh, we can't deal with this at the moment. We have a pandemic and we have a housing crisis. But this has been the same problem since 2016. Yeah. And it, there's always going to be big issues. So it's just going to keep getting worse. It certainly you is. Frank MacDonald was on News Talk the other morning complaining, and rightly so, that he had wasted €2,000 trying to gold-proof his roof. They just moved over to another part of the room. <laughs> That's what they do. You see, they're clever buggers yeah. as well. That's for sure. Yeah. But look at Tom. I have to leave it there today. I'm delighted to highlight okay, it again. I and I, the call and no, I, not and at my all. Sympathy, my, sympathy, my sympathies go out to your listeners who are going to be subjected to this problem again. Yes, and it's you know. it's more than Balbriggan, as you say. It's right across the northeast well, and the, the country here as well. well the but, department has said that. That's not us saying that. Yeah, I, Why did they set up the committee otherwise? Yeah, and I, I have to yeah. say as well that, uh, you know, people are really going to feel the impact of this from the 1st of June when they head with their bathing togs and towels to Balbriggan and the yeah. gulls are flying above laughing at them and they won't be able to swim in the sea. Tom, oh, you're okay. great. Thanks I for joining. See you, Tom. Yeah. Take care now. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Tom Cardiff there. Great man. The gold problem, I had in a, a brush with them myself as well. And uh, Ella's been on to say, Jerry, make all the people who feed the gulls in town clean up the you know what. That's not a bad point either. I know they come, I, I feed the birds in my back garden and they will appear at times. And the dung, when they have a, a you know what, a number two. Is it number one or number two? Number two, isn't it, in the garden? 
Oh my God, it's ferocious. And actually, I can tell you this for a fact. Messi, my dog, you know the way dogs, they'll be sniffing around everything, shouldn't they sniff anything? He, he's, he's been unwell with, and, and it's been from the gold stuff as well, that's for sure. But it's only when it impacts human beings like that child in England, well then people will sit up and take notice. Watch this space. Balbriggan Beach is not available this summer. Louise, you might be more familiar with that. Listener aunt was saying they were in Woody's in Navin this morning and couldn't use the bathroom. Are bathrooms closed in stores at this point in time because of the COVID situation? Mm, I think some shops might just, yeah. I think so. I think so. I I have a feeling that is the case. Some public toilets that are open, like in shopping centres and that, but individual stores, I'm not sure. Individual stores, I have a feeling they weren't available and haven't been available since the first lockdown. You might help us in that if you're listening. Is that true or false? 086 658 WhatsApp or text us to the show this afternoon. Still to come on Late lunch, Coldplay. The story continues, and a lo- uh, lovely song for you. I have ties in with something that's happening in the skies tonight, and uh, also we'll be talking uh, about mother and baby home survivors. A special online event happening tomorrow. You might be interested in if you've any connections with that through your family or whatever. All coming up on late lunch after three o'clock today. We got lashed, didn't we? We got lashed, Louise. You got lashed. <laughs> that's this wee I business. Trying, I was trying. I was trying. I was trying to. When you're in trouble, I was, it's load, the I was trying to load 50% onto your shoulders. You're too fast, too sharp for me altogether. I got lashed. I did. I got lashed on Friday when we spoke to uh, Lord Henry Mount Charles. His 70th birthday was the weekend. And somebody, well, quite a few suggested Nathan Carter, didn't they? They did. To headlines. There's a few fans out there. And I thought. And you poo-pooed them. I did. I poo-pooed it. And, uh, but the news is he's appearing in Slane in 2022. Boyle's in Slane. Yes, he'll be there at some stage next year. But anyway, just to show that we're ecumenical on late lunch this afternoon, we love him. Don't we, Louise? We, we love do. this song. We do, Jeepers, and we have we've, played this song. Oh, we play it regular on the show. Probably too much. Eamon would be giving out to us for playing it too much. But anyway, just to show that we... We You're love sorry you all. For offending we love people. you all, and you know the story. Never will he be in Slane Castle in concert. Anyway, here he is. We love him. Get up, book around the kitchen. We're going to dance here at this end. Stay with us at late lunch. Taking us to news, weather and sport at three. It's the wonderful Nathan Carter and Wagon Wheel. Embracing change, Harry Barry's book is his ninth book that was the answer I was looking for book number nine and my copy of the book will be winging its way to Anne McLaughlin it's yours Anne enjoy it's a fantastic book I say it again to your comments on late lunch today oh come on tell us tell us Jerry. you know more about Carter and Slane than you're pretending I know no more. Honestly, I'm concealing nothing. Henry just chuckled when his name was suggested. That's all I'll say to you. Erin Curran, hello today. Loves Wagon Wheel and was dancing round with there when we were playing it. Um, see the lies, the good old government again, Jerry. after Helen McEntee told the pubs they would have longer opening hours. I hope nobody goes out ever again to vote for any of them. Of course we'll go out again and vote for them. Will you see those extended hours? I think they will happen ultimately. That's the plan to extend, but just not at the moment. Thank you for your comment. Jerry and Harry, where there's life, there's hope. You're so lucky to have grandchildren far or near. Be patient, says Anne. Thank you, Anne, for your comment today. Confirming, yes, Jerry, fitting rooms and toilets are not 
open in retail spaces at the moment. Thank you indeed for that. We were speaking to Sarah Carey, top of the show. Very interesting conversation about social integration. Um, Jerry, I live in County Mead. All my children went to run-of-the-mill schools. But I know families living nearby who sent their children to upper-class schools as they think because they might own a bit of property or land, etc. College or boarding schools are the big thing. Snobbery, class distinction, alive and well. But thank God, Jerry, COVID has brought everyone down to the same level, says a listener this afternoon. Thank you indeed for that message to the show. Coldplay, they are my artists of the week. And as I mentioned yesterday, Coldplay are a band with many, many charitable causes. And they're not afraid either to be socially or politically outspoken or conscious. Examples of which have been their support for the Palestinian people, for vote remain in the UK-EU referendum, supporting victims, those terrible... Bombs in Manchester at the Ariana Grande concert. They support the victims there. In opposition to the rise of the far right wing in the States, backing for the campaign to counter plastic pollution in our oceans, and so on and so on it goes. In total, Coldplay support more than 30 charities and foundations. They are the most successful band of the 24th century this far. And one of the best-selling artists of all time with sales, listen to this, in excess of 80 million albums. Nine Brit Awards, seven Grammys, Golden Globes, Ivor Novello, MTV Europe and American Music Awards. All those trophies adorn their cabinet. So let's remind ourselves of what makes them so popular. From the album Ghost Stories, released seven years ago in May... Yes, look up, look up at the supermoon tonight and you'll see. Sky full of stars from my artists of the week, Coldplay, on your late lunch this afternoon. Final break of the day and we're returning to the issue of the mother and baby homes. Uh, Republic of Shame is a book we talked about on Late Lunch back in 2019. Well, there's an online event happening tomorrow. And if you're affected in any way, well, you'll want to stay with us here on Late Lunch this Wednesday afternoon. Republic of Shame is the name of the book. I spoke to Caelan Hogan about last year in 2019 on the show. Sorry, not last year. Where have I gone with the years? The year before, 2019, November 2019, Caelan Hogan joined me on Late Lunch to talk about her book, Republic of Shame. She's back with me today because she's bringing a very special event online tomorrow evening. Caelan, welcome back. Hi, Jerry. Lovely to speak with you again. I know it's hard to keep track of the time. Oh, <laughs> listen, did you hear me there last year and me only realising, so we've had nobody in the blinking place here since last March. I wasn't even here myself for six months. Anyway, Tempest Fugit and the mind wanders a little bit. I'm delighted to talk to you again. I well remember our interview that day. It stayed with me and stays with me to today. Now, tell us what's happening in association with Drehid tomorrow night at eight o'clock. I think actually that's the last time I was here. I was I was in Drehid for an event and, yeah. and actually after that I remember, you know, you speak to people when we used to have in person events and people would be talking to me about their own experiences of, of the religious run institutions mm. um or stories of people they knew, um, you know, that they shared with me at the time and so 
we're putting together an event at Druid online um, that is a free uh, online event with um, survivors of these institutions who will be speaking about their own experiences. So Noelle Brown, who's a playwright and adoption rights activist, will be sharing um, some work and speaking about her experience. Terry Harrison, who's a mother who was sent to two of these mother and baby home institutions, and be sharing some of her own poetry. Yunan Duffy, who was actually adopted from an institution in Newry. So um, obviously there were these institutions in the north as well. So he'll be talking about, um, you know, the cross-border uh, essentially trafficking of children and um, the ongoing investigations in the north as well. And then Rosemary Addiser, who uh, founded the Association of Mixed Race Irish, will be speaking to us from London, which is one of the benefits of having an online yes. event. And um, about, you know, the, the generational impact, really, of, of this ongoing legacy of the institution. And mm. um, so it'll be a conversation uh, between um, ourselves and we welcome questions um, and, and, and if people want to share their own stories um, to do so, it'll be through Zoom. And uh, like I said, you can sign up. There's sort of a free free ticket system through Drahid's uh, website and it'll be starting tomorrow at 8pm. Yes, um, and it's a terrific opportunity to hear from these people in person, even though it's across uh, Zoom and technology, and to have an input yourself. If there's anything anybody listening today has something on their mind, you'll be able to put it to them. You mentioned, touched something there just a moment. I want to come back to it. Because I was watching yesterday BBC, I think it was morning time, very early, and... Uh, this issue now is a, a real hot potato in the UK. It is. Uh, these institutions, actually the first mother and baby home institution was set up in, in the UK, in London. Um, so they have their own system of institutions uh, that are operated. And of course, um, you know, there were children were adopted across borders. Women were sent back. Terry herself actually fled to London and... Um, when she became pregnant and uh, she was staying there hoping to raise her child and she was sent back from London by the crusade of rescue as many women were and sent to an institution Mm. Um, and and women as well sort of and people who went through these institutions many left Ireland as soon as they can terrified that they'd be institutionalised for the rest of their lives Mm. the Rosemary Addiser who's in London now would be part of a community um, of Irish people living in the UK um, because uh, of their experience within the institutions here in Ireland. Mm. Uh, so it really does affect people and it's even beyond in, in the US um, and across the world. There are survivors yes. uh, who were sent away for adoption or who fled um, in the hopes of keeping their own children mm. Uh, so it really does affect so many people. It does, people. so far and wide. Since you published uh, your brilliant book and uh, time has passed, uh, the report has issued, what's your feelings looking from today, back from the time you published the book and brought the stories together and interviewed the various parties involved? There's still a big sore there not healed, isn't there? There is. I think there's, uh, you know, still a silence, um, uh, especially within, I think, official narratives. Um, I think the report, I started writing the book in 2017. The report was due to be published a few months um, after I started writing it, but of course was only published at the beginning of this year. Yeah. And I think survivors, including the people who will be speaking tomorrow, 
um, were really hurt by the conclusions of that report. And people like Noel uh, feel that their testimonies were misrepresented. There were inaccuracies in, in what was written in the report about their own experiences. And within the first page of that report, these institutions were described as refuges. Um, which I think was incredibly hurtful mm. uh, to women who were sent away and called offenders. Um, and that term was, was used by church and state to describe women sent to these institutions. But I also think there's so many people I know who I would have met through the book who have never spoken about this, yes. um, even to their own family, to their own children, to their own friends. Through Terry, I met a woman who was sent to Sean Ross Abbey and uh, she goes to church. She's a woman of faith. But she said she's never spoken to her friends who, who she'd go to mass with um, because, you know, there's still an idea that survivors are somehow anti-church or they're doing this to hurt the church. But she, you know, and so she's afraid to speak. Um, and I think those silences still need to be broken. Yes. Um, so it's really important to create this space and, and to have these conversations for us to talk to each other about this. Yes. Well, here's an opportunity tomorrow night to find out more, to hear more stories, to have an input, ask questions. Eight o'clock, it's free. Drehid, go onto the Drehid website, D-R-O-I-C-H-E-A-D, Drehid, and uh, register there. Eight o'clock, it all begins, and it's facilitated by the wonderful Caelan Hogan. Listen, lovely to talk to you again briefly today. We'll be talking, I'm sure, down the line. Thanks for joining me. Thanks very much, Jerry. Take care. Not at all. Bye. She's great. She's great. She really is. And that book is a wonderful, wonderful book too. Anyway, that's a lot on late lunch this Wednesday afternoon. Coming up on Thursday, Fantasy Premier League, the winner. There were 10 million people in this Fantasy Premier League and one man won. He's Irish. Michael Coon's his name. And he has massive Meath connections. He's joining us tomorrow on the show. Carmel Harrington's back. One of my favourites, yes. With a new one, we're chatting to Carmel tomorrow. And Vera Boyle. A jewel in the crown no more. What am I talking about? You'll have to find out tomorrow by joining us on Late Lunch. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to Louise. Thanks to you for joining us every day on the show. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. Have a lovely Wednesday evening. Man United tonight. United fans hoping to lift the silverware against Villarreal. I'll be watching. Glory, glory, Man United. Or will it be? We'll know shortly. Anyway, have a nice evening. See you tomorrow for Thursday's Late Lunch from 1.30. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have the biggest range of light commercials in the Northeast with same-day business finance. So let our van specialist, Danny, find the commercial vehicle to suit your requirements. See blackstonemotors.ie. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.